Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. The warmth that comes out of the sound of vinyl just doesn't compare to anything else. The biggest thing to me is vinyl is something tangible. You actually own it. You know, as opposed to streaming something, you actually own that record and something happens when that needle hits the record that's sonic. There's a bigger appreciation for what's on the actual record versus just being able to punch anything up digitally. Sounds, visuals, and music podcast with an emphasis on jazz, funk, soul, and hip hop. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounds Visual Radio spinoff series, How Deep Is Your Crate? where we talk to producers, beat makers, DJs, composers, and musicians about some of their favorite albums. On this episode, we're joined by renowned music photographer and filmmaker Brian Cross, also known as B+, who gives us a peek inside his crates. What I was thinking is that I would do records that I've one way or another have been involved in that really made me reevaluate, you know, the music. And so let me just speak speak to things that I was in one way or another, even in a small way involved with. So let me start with the first hip hop record from Los Angeles that absolutely melted my brain, completely changed the way that I thought about music. Um, which is to whom it may concern by the Freestyle Fellowship. It's as important as three feet three feet high and rising. It's as important as introducing. Um, it's it's how I you know by working with the Freestyle Fellowship gave me the kudos to be able to work with DJ Shadow. He trusted me because I was able to work with them because he regarded them so highly. They changed hip hop in Los Angeles in the early '90s. Um, they came out of the good life. They really took the notion of styles to a whole other level. Um, there's a very, very short documentary film uh, of them performing a cappella, which is floating around on the, on the, on YouTube from that period, which was their EPK shot by the great photographer, uh, uh, Melody McDaniel, which is extraordinary. And you know, it never ceases to amaze me that record. I mean, there are so many good ideas on that record. And if you want to understand like how does Kendrick end up making a record like To Pimp a Butterfly, you need to go back to the Freestyle Fellowship to whom it may concern. It is really, I mean, it's, it's a statement. It has a manifesto on there. It has a statement of purpose on there, things on there where it's like, it absolutely lets you know what or why or how is wrong with the way that LA is understood I mean, it's really something extraordinary, and it's it's it it was really the film. I mean, it was really the 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 record that allowed me to see L.A. in the glory that it 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 should have been seen way back in 1991. Yeah, it really really changed my my way of listening to hip hop. I I, there, I just the notion that a record like that could be made, and that so few people knew about it, not to speak of the way it was made, not to speak of the way it was distributed, which was sort of hand to hand, much, much the same way as, you know, the two shorts and, and, and folks like that were distributing records in that period. 
you know, before high row before, you know, I mean, it's really a, 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 such an important record. I, my ears were doing pirouettes, let's say. I'm not going to do introducing because I think I've talked enough about introducing enough ink has been spilt about introducing. But the same week that I shot introducing, I also shot Soul on Ice for Raz Kaz. And I just feel like it's another one of those records that's like was never really got its proper. Very difficult situation to be a, a solo rapper in that period, especially somebody as good and as hard as Raz Kaz was. Raz Kaz, the kind of punchline king the kind of the deep, the deep guy of the West Coast in that period, our Nas, our OC. Um, <clears throat> and the record to me, I preferred the version of it that before it ended up at priority, there was a version going around like a demo version of the album, which I preferred to be honest, but that could have been just me having demo ears or whatever, but there was a longer version of nature of the threat. There was a, you know, there was, it just has songs on there that are absolutely stunning lyrically. And the record came out and it was kind of one of those ones where they really didn't, I just feel like, you know, in that period, the only groups out of LA that were really getting one off were like the far side, as far as non straight ahead gangster music, really the far side. And it was to do with the way the, re the far side record sounded. I mean, Jay Swift had done incredible things musically on that first Farside record. And I feel like Raz's record in retrospect didn't quite have the kind of robustness and the kind of swing. It wasn't as musical as it needed to be, I think. I mean, re re relative to like Illmatic or, or relative to like uh, Word Life, which is the first OC record. Um, but lyrically, you know, Raz in that moment was kind of on fire and uh, and some of those songs and some of those song ideas are really stunning. I mean, he, you know, he's still around, he still does it, he's still amazing, but that record really is a kind of high watermark really as far as a particular kind of lyricism um, on the West Coast. So that's my number two. I was told two wrongs will make a right with three rights Make a laugh at your age, not your color But I'd rather act darker, mark a page with mazes of laughter Fuck up a rhyme so bad, I leave the microphone abstinent To MC or not to MC Beyond BET and MTV exists me Origin, cause God created man And man created hip-hop I declined to participate in until I was orientated I heard 50,000 drive-bys and 49,999 was live no surprise, as the sunrise, thine eyes have seen the light. But we stalk the night, I get exposed like an overbite. In limbo, I lamb, break the lady, kill the tramp. The wrong action for the right motive. So now, give me 50,000 black angry role models. Take me to DC, I throw the first fucking bottle. Cause I don't give a fuck about a mean ego existence. Number three, I would say, just because, and I'm, I'm, we're 
maybe I've jumped forward too far, but maybe I can circle back. Um, number three is uh, Welcome to Jamrock for Damien Marley. I shot the cover. So these, the, so these records, well, To Whom It May Concern never really had a cover. The cassette did. I didn't do that photo, but let's say on the reissue, they're going to use my photos. Soul and Ice, I did the cover and really spent a lot of time elaborating on Raz's lyrics um, with photos. And then Welcome to Jamrock was an entirely different story. I had never done a reggae thing in that moment. I was basically the uh, Jurassic, the manager of Jurassic Five, just had started to work with Damian Marley and asked me if I would come to Miami and make photographs of him. There was no budget, but that, you know, he needed photos for this package that he had been dropped by his label after he had won a Grammy, which is kind of in that weird consolidation moment of the record industry um, in the early 2000s. And that he had a record that was hot in New York, played me the song. I was like, holy shit, this is great. Will you come to Miami and make photographs of him? Went to Miami, met him. I said, look, I'll do it. But if you guys, you know, and I, I don't even need to get dough, but if, if, if this pans out, please hire me to do the record cover and pay me properly. And they were like, got you. And that was the beginning of a relationship that I, you know, on my way to Ireland on this trip, I went through Miami and I spent three days and made a music video with Damien. And uh, it's something that I'm very, very happy about. And I think that's going to be, uh, that's going to really be a new kind of departure for him in the kind of, you know, moving forward. Uh, somebody I would consider a friend, um, somebody I would consider a confidant, somebody I would consider, you know, yeah, like one of the kind of core figures that I've, I've worked with pretty much continuously since 2005. Um, somebody that I would drop everything and go shoot with anytime, anywhere, you know, there's not too many people in that category, but there's, there's a few, but he's definitely one of them. Somebody I've gone on the road with extensively, you know, I don't, that's not, again, that's not something I do that often. Um, I've done it, but not like the way he does it, um, which has been an extraordinary learning experience as well, just in terms of the access to, you know, the kind of elders that roll with him, you know, having access in a real way to what goes on in Kingston and what makes Jamaica such a vibrant and important place in terms of ideas, in terms of maybe the most important location on the planet for music after the Second World War. I think a good case could be made that Jamaica is the most important place, um, certainly in, in English-speaking music. And, you know, that's really, you know, very much to do with my relationship with Damien. And so um, Welcome to Jam Rock is the record. I, I, the record still holds up. It's incredible. Of course, I love Distant Relatives, which is the one after it. And of course, I love Stony Hill, which is the most recent one, which is another one that I did the cover of. But somehow Welcome to Jam Rock, just because that was my entry point or whatever. So I'm going to say Welcome to Jam Rock, Damian Marley is my number three. Out in the street, they call it Some boy not know this 
Come only come around like tourists on the beach with a few club sodas, bedtime stories, and pose like them named Chuck Norris. And don't know the real hard quirker sandals and no buck to the thugs, them we do where them got to. And won't think twice to shot to, don't make them spot to, unless you carry guns and lots to. A beer tough thing come at you when trench stone man stop. Let me talk about Stone Stroll for a second. I'm really happy to be associated with the with the history of Stone's Throw. I'm really privileged and honored to be a part of that whole movement. And through them, I've met, you know, all kinds of people, obviously. But I think for me, and this is including Dilla, but uh, for me, the most important person I met out of that whole situation is Madeline, Otis Jackson Jr. And the beginning of that relationship was trying to make photographs with Otis for the Yesterday's New Quintet album, um, the very first one. What was funny about that and what was great about that experience was that it was the kind of thing where, you know, both Egon and Peanut Butter Wolf and, and, and Jeff Jank were brand new in LA. In that moment, they weren't even in Highland Park yet. They were still living over by the airport. I think it was like El Segundo or someplace. And, you know, it was like, the Quasimodo singles existed and and PB Wolf had bought or rented Otis a set of vibraphones. And it was kind of one of those things where like Otis suddenly just decided to try to learn to play an instrument by doing covers of other people's materials, but then other people's material, but then it's him. So it's not, you know, so, it's, so, it's, so he would, he would play the record, play with it, then to take the record out, then put drums up underneath it. And nobody was doing it. You know, it was like, it's com sound completely new. Like, what the fuck? And it, and it was kind of one of those things where like, you know, like as far as the kind of the beat generation as they're called now, but like the, the Los Angeles kind of beat community in that period, Otis was just like, I mean, he's still a phenomenon. And he's just, you know, just a sort of extraordinary figure. Like, I mean, he's just, it's no, you know, the kind of originality. Jason Moran <laughs> writing about, oh my goodness, I'm spacing on who he was writing about. But he, but he, he, saw, he talks about this idea. It was one of, the, one of the jazz elders that passed recently. And he, he wrote that originality is intention bravery. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that's it. That is it. And... You know, in that period, that was Otis. And it's Otis. So he have his own way of explaining how he was doing it, where he would sort of say things like, ah, these ain't real records. They're just rehearsals. But you could argue Sunra made a whole career out of doing recordings of rehearsals. You know what I mean? Like that 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 that, that music itself is 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 something atemporal. You know, it's like, is it ever finished? Do you know what I mean? Ask Kanye. I mean, do you know, I mean, it's like one of these things where it's like, you can be working on it for your whole life. Ask the Elonious Monk. And then Otis was that, but for us. And I remember that period so vividly. I remember the kinds of records that we were turning up together. Like if he found something, he'd burn a disc. If we found something, he'd burn a disc. If PB Wolf found something, he'd burn a disc or Egon. And there was just this kind of like very fluid, very goofy, easygoing, socially maladapted kind of reality that existed. And, 
yeah, whenever I hear that yesterday's new quintet first, yesterday's new quintet record, and of course all the other ones too, the Joe McDuffries and the fucking, you know, like all the iterations of it, it really, you know, it, it, it makes me very happy. It makes me very happy to have seen that emerge. And it makes me very happy to, to realize that like in some weird incremental universe, that opened the door for a whole bunch of kind of DIY jazz experiments that led to groups like, let's say, Bad, Bad, Not Good. But I even could hear the influence of those records and like Glasper and people like that. And the way Chris Dave, the way, you know, there's a, I know Kareem, I know Dilla, you know, like people really, you know, people really understood what was being asked when, when Otis did that. And I was just very happy that to be, you know, in the room, so to speak, although no one is ever really in the room when Otis records, just <laughs> to be 100% clear. But, and it's not that the album cover itself is even that great. I mean, I'm much more, I'm much more pleased about the, the work we did for Blue Note um, photographically, but it was just the experience of being around then and what those records mean. I would say number five is Until the Quiet Comes, Flying Lotus. Until the Quiet Comes by Fly Low is, wow, man. Um, a kind of real benchmark record in many respects uh, in terms of, I mean, Cosmogramma is really the record that kind of made me fully aware of just what the ambition, I guess, of, of you know, Steve's project but the the record that I had the opportunity to work on which is equally as mind-boggling in many respects is Until the Quiet Comes and you know a far more famous photographer and filmmaker than I had already given it a stab and had fallen into the soup so to speak and they didn't have anything that they liked and yeah, Steve, Steve actually called Steven Serato, a great designer from LA and, 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 and Serato said, man, we should just call B. And so it was one of these weird situations where like, I knew Lotus very well. He'd come to Brazil with us one, on one trip. He had lent us a camera that um, his granite Alice Coltrane had, had bought him. And, you know, at one point he wanted to be a video, video maker and, and, and came to visit us at, at Mochilla and we were, we kind of helped him out a little bit. We were trying to, you know, coach him, help him to, you know, sort of become the filmmaker he wanted to be. But of course the universe had bigger plans. And, uh, and so, you know, he, he, he started to make beats and uh, anyway, it was very curious really to get a call from him when he wants to be very serious. He can be incredible. I mean, he's kind of a funny dude, but like when he wants to be really serious, he was very, very serious. And he, 
It was beautiful, actually. It's one of the one of the nicest things that has ever been said to me. Is a few. You know, I actually really remember when people say nice things about me. But he uh, he he said, uh, you know, I know you don't do you don't just shoot anybody. You got to be committed to, to to a record to take photos. And I said, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't I'm not out there wearing the t-shirt, but you know, this is like yeah, it's a kind of open secret. And he said, you know, I, I have this record that I I really. I really would love to have you work with me on. And I was kind of like, dude, come on, man. You're already family. I mean, shit. You lent us gear. You traveled together. You know, we love you. You know, he's like, no, no, no. But I, I really want you to hear the record, you know. And I, I also told him actually, and, I, and I, I still I still give him credit for this, which was the shows, the, 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 the show to launch Co- Cosmogramma in L.A. for me at the Echoplex with Ross G opening and with Ravi Coltrane playing before Lotus and then everybody convening on stage to play a, 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 a bunch of the music from Cosmogramma live, you know, including Thundercat, including Miguel Atwood Ferguson, including and Andreas Renteria and, and, and Daedalus and, and fucking Ravi Coltrane and his band is really a turning point, in my opinion, in, in terms of uh, in terms of the music in LA because it's it's really that intersectional moment between the beat scene and a kind of jazz that sadly had had lost t- touch with its audience really you know that 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 there was a gap there between you know people making challenging jazz music and a, a proper younger audience and and Steve exploded that fucking wall, man. I mean, and that's what allowed for the Kamasi record to have the kind of impact that it did really, um, was was that night to me, actually. That night was where I saw the vision, that night where I was like, oh my God, he's really got fucking a thousand fucking kids under the age of 25 to listen to jazz properly in a real way. And it was extraordinary. I mean, it was, I was, shook emotionally it took days for me to get over that and uh i'm sorry actually it's never you know we we, we did an amazing recording of it and we we sh- you know we we shot it and it, it wasn't just there was a number of us it was me and eric but there was a bunch of other cats as well shooting and they never for whatever reason it's never come out it's never been you know it's for whatever reason it's you know it's it's in the vaults but um so when he he came then and asked me to to make the record and uh, to to do the photos for the record and I was just chuffed you know I mean I'm you know like I it, it felt really right and really good and I was super excited to be involved and I I felt like this is something really important and it was you know it was it was all family you know it was just goofy as hell we 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 shot underwater at the pool in the back of his house and and he was. It's one of those things like where it kind of emerged in real time. Like he just was kind of like, no, more blurry, more blurry, more blurry. I'm like, dude, no, you can't see shit. And no, no, that's it. That's it. That's it. We're there. We're there. And then it was really like an exercise in in, in kind of live painting underwater. Like that's that's what it felt like. And it was, you know, we were, none of us were there with a fucking mask or nothing. We were just going down, opening our eyes, making photos. And it was in, it's one of the kind of most, I don't know, there's something beautifully visceral about the whole experience that like, you know, uh, comes back to me in really interesting ways. And so, um, yeah. And then the record is something else. And then even go another step. 
the film that came out with the with the with the record, which is also called Until the Quiet uh, Comes, directed by Khalil Joseph, edited by long-term Mochilla uh, editor Luke Lynch, and the palette that they used, which you know, which Khalil told me, like, nah, the photos totally influenced the way the palette we wanted to use for the for the film, and and just the importance of the film in and of itself is something extraordinary with storyboard p doing his fucking insane dancing and 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 just launching the career of khalil to you know where he goes off and does the double consciousness thing for kendrick and then ends up doing lemonade for beyonce and just another one of those kind of moments where it's like you know a kind of convergence of like really amazing creatives around like a very important record you know yeah so that has to be there too Oscillations by Quantic. And Quantic is somebody, again, that I've worked with and I feel kind of bad now because I've only gotten to him at the end, but somebody that I've had a long-term working relationship with, somebody, I, another cat that I would almost consider a brother, kind of a extraordinary uh, multi-instrumentalist, fucking accordion freak, uh, record collector, man of many hats, man of many ideas, man of many drinks and <laughs> jokes. And basically, yeah, we, we, you know, I have done a bunch of record covers for him. I'm, you know, anything that has photos on it for the most part. Um, and he's, you know, on Mad Lib levels in terms of how many records he's put out. But um, any of them that have photos for the most part, it's done by me. And um that particular record was us trying to think, you know, him thinking about the idea of the Atlantic as a kind of thinking about that body of water as a kind of way to sort of describe a suite of, you know, suite of songs, um, very much, you know, living in New York, thinking about, you know, the, the, the Middle Passage, thinking about the Caribbean, thinking about, you know, these, this sort of the, the, the Atlantic as a kind of, you know, like a, a piece of magnetic tape, you know, as a, as a piece of wire that transmits back and forth, you know, like extraordinary ideas. And then trying to find a way to, you know, describe that. And um, anyway, long story short, we started sort of thinking about places that we could shoot. Originally, we were thinking about Montserrat, which is the island in the South Caribbean, um, where the most amount of Irish folks ended up. Quantic is Irish like myself. His background is at least. And that was just proving too complicated and difficult to even though to get to, even though George Martin has a studio there that he built in the 70s, the producer of the Beatles, and it got completely a volcano erupted next to it. And you can't really get there. But we figured we could 
pay somebody and get there, but we didn't. So then plan B was I came up with the notion of shooting in the Gullah Islands um, in South Carolina, which is where Daughters of the Dust, the extraordinary Arthur Jaffa and Julie Dash film was shot. And uh, we went there and it was literally, we just on a whim, just booked a flight and just went. And uh, it was myself, Will and his partner Aziza and uh, no clue and the internet. <laughs> and uh, well, what we came to find out was, is that for the most part, that part of South Carolina has been turned into like resorts and golf courses and all kinds of stupid shit. Um, but there is one island, which I think is called St. Helene, which is where Daughters of the Dust was shot or St. Helena, I might be remembering it wrong. And we went there on the last day and it was, wow, just amazing. And, oh, we, you know, on the Saturday, we, we, we found our way to this, uh, this museum and the, and the guy was closing as we got there and he was like, oh man, don't even worry about it. Just do whatever you guys need to do, man. If you want to take photos, just go take photos. And then he was like, yeah, see, there's a house down there by the, by the ocean. And that's where Martin Luther King, that was his retreat. That's where he wrote the, I have a dream speech. And it's, it's just like one of those sort of things where you're just like, what? You know? <laughs> and so we go down there and we're taking photos around the house. And it's just like, man, you know, when you actually make the effort to go places, and I think this is what myself and Will, um, in many respects, you know, the first time I went to Ethiopia, which is in 2005, which is the first time I met Malatu Estake, was with Will. It was Will invited me to go. But it's, there is really something to be said for going to places. A lot of my trips to Colombia was because of Will. I was the one then that brought Will to Brazil. But any event, we, for that record, which is called Atlantic Oscillations, we went to South Carolina together and, and spent a few days wandering around in the cover um, the last day we had, we had had a very good middle of the day and we thought there's one shot left. Where are we going? And then we kind of came to this crossroads and he was like, which way should we go? And I was like, fucking go that way. And we started driving and then we saw this abandoned gas station and it was like, Hmm, this has some possibilities. And so we just, yeah, just he put on a coat and we stood out there in front of the pumps that were completely abandoned and, we started fooling around with the light and then I had a projector and we projected, you know, I had a friend of mine, um, a great Irish photographer called Paul McCarthy, actually a guy I grew up with photograph the westernmost point in Ireland, which is in County Kerry and photographed the ocean there. And we projected the ocean there onto the ocean, onto, you know, the Gullah Islands in South Carolina and uh, kind of closed the geographical gap of the Atlantic and made that photo. And, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 it's one of those ones, like, it's pretty subtle what we did. But again, you know, there's no Photoshop or nothing. It's all, you know, we, it's done in, in camera, so to speak. And, uh, and it really, in many respects, it marks out the kind of relationship I have with Will. It marks out the kind of relationship I have to this continent. I was happy to be able to put, you know, West, the Atlantic Ocean of West Kerry onto a building in South Carolina. And, and, and to have the opportunity to make a photograph like that, which is in, itself, in and of itself is quite a challenging photograph to make. Um, it wasn't easy. <laughs> and then the record's great. You know, the record's like a super fun, cool, sort of up-tempo homage to New York of the kind of late 70s, you know, in that era where like, you know, Studio 54, 
independent label disco with musicians from the salsa scene or whatever, you know, with the kind of early electronic experimentation, Patrick Adams, all that sort of stuff um, is happening. And it's, you know, Will's take on it. Sounds Visual Radio is a production of Sounds Visual Media. All past episodes of the podcast can be found archived anytime at soundsvisualradio.com. Follow us on Instagram at Sounds Visual Media and on Facebook at Sounds Visual PDX. And lastly, the email for the podcast is soundsvisualradio at gmail.com. <laughs>